Psalm 136 this morning. We've been taking a little overview throughout the Psalms, and there's 150 Psalms altogether. We didn't go through 135 so far. We're just kind of skipping through, but we're at 136 this morning. Before we get there, while you're turning there or while you're swiping there, whatever you're doing, just want to remind everybody, uh, if you are seated with your own family or whoever you came with and you are comfortable to, you are allowed to take off your mask right now for the guidelines that were out. But if you would prefer to keep it on, obviously you are more than welcome to do that as well. If you did not get a mask, you don't have one, there are some disposable masks always at that connect table. Uh, we have hand sanitizing stations in the back right there on each wall toward the exits. If you need a restroom, go out the store, make a right, first two doors on the right. And when we get to taking communion together, we have little individual cups. They're scattered at the tables that are by every section of chairs here. And so you would just grab your own uh, or pass it to whoever's with you, part of your household. And it's got the little wafer and the individual cup there. So... We're trying to minimize risk as much as possible. We're doing this and, and trying to follow all these steps out of love for one another, out of love for those who maybe are in jobs where they're more vulnerable or love for those who maybe their health makes them more vulnerable or just out of love for others who might be experiencing anxiety, like that panic attack story we just heard about, right? Um, there's a lot of anxiety going on in our world right now, a lot of lethargicness. Is that the word? Lethargicism? I don't know. A lot of people feeling lethargic these days. A lot of depression happening. I think things being shut down, things not being normal, things being chaotic, things being up in the air, work being different for most people, some people not having work, uh, not being able to see each other's faces a lot of times. All of those things minimize human contact now, I'm not saying we, we don't do all those things, because as I just mentioned, we're trying to do that as best as we can here. But the reality is all those things do add to those levels of anxiety, of fear, of being stuck in your house all day and starting to grow lethargic, right? And what I want to encourage this morning as we look to Psalm 136 is that we would be reawakened to the joy and the thanksgiving we have because God's goodness in our lives and in this world. That's what Psalm 136 really all about, but it's also a call and response song. So I'm going to need your guys' help, okay? Now, if you're worried about that, don't worry. You don't have to sing it. We're going to call and response, and you can speak it. And if you're worried about that and you think this is weird, I want us to just kind of get a little, like, let's ease into it, okay? And so in light of, I heard that baseball, a baseball season is going to be starting back up, and in light of that, to give us a little bit of practice in what call and response looks like, we're going to play something you'd hear in a baseball stadium that's probably familiar to many of us, and let's see if you could respond with it, okay? So go ahead, Patrick.
all done. So it's not that hard, right? It's not that weird. We do this in our culture. When you're at a game, at a sporting event, go sports team, you hear those things, and what, what happens? The whole crowd, the whole stadium starts joining in together, right? When you heard that first initial, da-da-da-da-da-da, you knew what was coming. And you knew that as a group, we're going to be yelling, charge, because we're rooting for our team together. When you heard that, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, you knew the clap's coming. And it's rallying everybody together to go, let's go, defense, let's go. Like, you know what it is, and you're joining in unison to shout it together or to clap it together, whatever the case may be. So call and response is something that has always taken place and taken shape throughout culture in every culture. In fact, I shared with you guys through our Facebook ahead of time a video of a call and response kind of modern-day hymn, modern-day song. And this is something that's prevalent in parts of the church that are widely populated by African-American black culture of the church, where they would do this call and response. The one I shared with you in particular was the lady who was singing, the main vocalist, she was reciting things God had done throughout the biblical story. She would recite things like, God, you rescued your people out of Egypt. You brought them across the Red Sea. She, she got to the New Testament. She would talk about, Jesus, you went and you raised Lazarus from the dead. And as she would say these things, a chorus of people would respond with, we got to walk by faith. And it was the same line every time, just like it was the same clap every time or the same hey every time or whatever we were doing, right? The response was always the same, but it never grew old because she gave them a new reason to say it every single time. And it was rooted in the story. And the reason I shared that one this week was because it actually is very, very similar to Psalm 136. So all the way back in our history, all the way back early on in the world, all the way back to the time of God's people Israel wandering through the wilderness, they would use this call and response. So I'm going to read from Psalm 136, and I would love for you, even those of you at home, to join with me as I read the call that you would read the response. And I'm just giving you it ahead of time so you're familiar and you're comfortable. It's very simple. His faithful love endures forever. That's how the CSB version, for anyone who's reading out a different version at home, you might see something like his steadfast love endures forever or something similar. But we're gonna say his faithful love endures forever. And I know that many of us aren't used to the call and response culture. And so you might feel awkward. And a lot of times what happens when we do things like in our liturgies where we read stuff together or we pray stuff together, it'll sound like this. His faithful love endures forever. And there's a little bit of nervousness there too because you're like, am I saying it on with everybody else? Are we on time together? Don't worry about that. Just let the story of what's happening in this psalm incite you and compel you to recognize that truth, that his faithful love endures forever. Don't say it because I've asked you to say it. It'd be better for you to not say anything. You just listen if that's the case. But, but I encourage you to joyfully express his faithful love endures forever. So here we go. Psalm 136. The psalmist writes, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. 
He alone does great wonders. He made the heavens skillfully. He spread the land on the waters. He made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. He struck the firstborn of the Egyptians and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and outstretched arm. He divided the Red Sea and led Israel through but hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. He led his people in the wilderness. He struck down great kings and slaughtered famous kings. That was a weird one, huh? Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance. An inheritance to Israel, his servant. He remembered us in our humiliation and rescued us from our foes. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. You did it. We made it. 26 verses, 26 times. Is anyone tired of saying his faithful love endures forever? <laughs> no, that took forever, Becca says. Yeah, it, it, it goes on, right? It's meant to give you that repetitive nature of like, how long are we doing this? Is this going to endure forever? And the, the purpose of that is to remind you and to live out a little bit of what the song is actually saying, that his faithful love endures forever. Does it ever stop? No. How long does it go? Forever, right. Do not ever grow tired of saying that. Don't ever grow tired of reminding yourself and reminding others around you about God's faithful love lasting forever. We're going to talk about what that means, and actually there's, that's a weak translation in our English because we don't have the words. We're going to talk a little bit more about how deep that really goes, but did you see throughout the psalm, if you were to take out that last line of every verse, his faithful love endures forever, and just read it the rest of the way through, you're reading through a story. And so, the psalmist was reminding God's people of the story of God and how he's been at work in his world from the beginning of creation up until the point they found themselves now in history. And reminding them that all throughout that, it is displaying God's faithful love. Do any of you kids know how to draw a star? A star, not a scar. Do you know how to draw a star only using one line without picking up your pen at all? Okay, good. I'm going to give it a shot 
and I want you to tell me if I'm doing it right, okay? So hopefully our, our folks at home on Zoom can see that on your screen now. And you guys can see it over here on this TV. So I'm going to draw a star without picking up my pen, okay? See how well I can do this. My hand's a little shaky. There's one line, two, three, four. It looks like I picked up my pen, but the pen's just not working that well. So I'm going to try that again. Let's get some solid lines going. Nope, pen's not working well. But we got it. You can get the idea, right? Five of you saw me do this a couple times this morning. Again, every week, something always works right when you're practicing and then doesn't work right when it's go time. But you get the idea. That's a star there, right? This star is the pattern, the geometric shape, if we want to geek out. It is the image of Psalm 136. It helps us tell the story that Psalm 136 is telling. And let me show you what I mean by that. At the beginning of our first three verses of this psalm, the psalmist wrote, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. I'm going to skip the response. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. And so at the very top here, we have that God is Lord. We're starting, he is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He is God in heaven. We start from there. And then what happens is we move downward in the story because God comes down at creation. He comes down and he creates an earth and he creates animals and fish and birds and he creates mankind to dwell in this earth and to represent what he's like. But he comes down and walks with humanity in this. And we see this in verses four through nine. So let me read that without our response, okay? It says, He alone does great wonders. He made the heavens skillfully. He spread the land on the waters. He made the great lights, the sun to rule by day, the moon and stars to rule by night. God comes down and creates this beautiful canvas of creation. And then, at one point in the story, for Israel's story, because what happens is we know that mankind rebels against God and they separate themselves from the life-giving creator. And so they're sent into exile. They're sent out away from the garden that God created for them. But God calls a people to come and to be his own, to represent him again the way all humanity was supposed to. And he calls this guy Abraham. And he says, you will create a whole nation of people and you will represent me to the rest of the nations. So they will see what I'm like and they will be brought into my faithful love too. But Israel, Abraham and his descendants, they don't do such a great job of that. And what they find years and years later is they find themselves taken up into captivity into Egypt, and they're slaves there. So this part of the story, actually, if I back up this one down here, creation, if we look at our Bible, this is coming from Genesis. Remember we talked about how the Psalms were broken up to retell the first five books of scripture that they had at the time called the Torah. Kids say Torah. Good job. They had five books of scripture at the time. Now we have a whole lot more, but they had five books, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. They had those five books. And so that first one was reminding them, remember Genesis creation? And then if you move forward, 
God's people find themselves in Egypt. And we see this in verses 10 through 16, I believe. 10 through 15. So let me read that. He struck the firstborn of the Egyptians and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and outstretched arm. He divided the Red Sea and led Israel through, but hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Verses 10 through 15 is telling this narrative. Even though God's people found themselves enslaved and oppressed by a whole other people, God still was faithful to them. He came and he brought them out. And so the next part of the story, and the star is moving us forward, God bringing them out of Egypt, out of their slavery. And we see this part of the story in Numbers. I normally have way better handwriting than I promise. So in Numbers, we see this in verses 16 through 22. And what happens there? God leads them out of Egypt. He, he miraculously overcomes the might of Pharaoh, the world power of the time. He dethrones Pharaoh by showing him, no, no, no I'm God. I'm in control here. And he sends 10 plagues to systematically shut down the kingdom of Pharaoh, the kingdom of Egypt. Every plague was saying something about the gods that Pharaoh worshipped or the worship of Pharaoh himself. And every plague was God showing, nope, I'm in control. I am the God of the whole world. So he does that, and then he miraculously parts the Red Sea, and he lets Israel escape from slavery in Egypt across dry land with walls of water on each side of them. And as they get through, once they're clear, the Egyptians who came chasing after them to hunt them down and to bring them back as slaves, they start to cross too, and God then sends the water to crash over them swallowing them up, and they drown. And so salvation for God's people, the Israelites following him, was destruction for the Egyptians, those who were against God. What we see all throughout Scripture, those always go hand in hand. God's salvation of those who follow him will also bring destruction to those who oppose him. So then we find ourselves in the wilderness. They get out there, and what happens? They don't believe that God is going to bring them into the promised land. They don't believe that it's better out here now. In fact, almost right away they say, it was better for us back in Egypt. At least we knew we had food all the time. Like they want to go back as slaves. And so God lets them stay wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But listen, verses 16 through 22, he led his people in the wilderness. He didn't leave them there. He led them. He struck down great kings. His faithful love endures forever. Oh, I wasn't going to read the response. He slaughtered famous kings. That's a weird one to say that, right? Like, are we going to really repeat his faithful love endures forever when you just said he slaughtered people? Listen to this, though. He struck down great kings and slaughtered famous kings, and it gives us two examples, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. And what did he do? He gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to Israel, his servant. Remember what happened with Pharaoh? God's salvation for the people following him will bring destruction for those opposing him. Sion was a king of the, of the people called Amorites, and what they did is they saw Israel coming and wandering and getting close to their land, and they said, we don't want these foreigners passing through our land. And if they try to, we will defeat them. God's trying to lead his people across to safety. They're wandering in the wilderness. And this oppressive nation is going, no, 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 no. You can't come into our land. And so God allows Moses, who's not a king, 
who doesn't have an army, and the people of Israel to defeat that king. And then Og, the next king of Bashan, he's also part of the Amorite clan. And so Og is mad about this, and they send an army to go and attack. And then what happens? God allows them to defeat that kingdom as well. And what's the point of this? Why did the psalmist include those two kings? Once those two kingdoms were defeated, before God's people even got to enter into the promised land of Canaan, they had to cross another river called Jordan to get there. They were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't trust in God fully, but God still provided for them. The defeat of those two kingdoms gave them pretty much all of that land on the other side of the Jordan. So even in their wandering, God gave them a home. And then we move down to the next point in our star. And here we get a little bit of a summary. And it's kind of like a prophetic summary. In a way saying, these things are still going to happen. Verse 23 through 25. So what we see there is he remembered us in our humiliation. He remembered us out in the wilderness, in our wandering. We were humbled because we were a people without a land and a people without a kingdom. And God remembered us. There's a point where Moses even says to God, God, if you just leave us, all the rest of the nations will laugh at us and they'll wonder, what are you up to? Because you, by your power, brought us out of Egypt. So by your power, continue to stay with us. So that's what verse 23 is saying. He remembered us in our humiliation, kind of walking us back through the star again. Verse 24, and rescued us from our foes. Another translation is you freed us from our captors. Remember when they were slaves in Egypt? So it's reciting what we had just read through. And then verse 25, he gives food to every creature. God is the God of creation. He's at work in creation. And then finally, we get verse 26, walks us back up all the way to where we started at the top. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Let me stop this screen share so our folks at home can actually see us again. So it brings us all the way back to the top of that star, right where we started, that God is the God of heaven, the God of the universe, the God over all things. The one who came down in creation and established the earth. The one who rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. The one who cared for them even in their wandering away from him. This is that same God and he will continue doing that work from now through eternity. Why? Because his faithful, you know it by our love, endures forever. So give thanks to the God of God. So that's, the, that's our walkthrough through Psalm 136. You know the structure of it, the layout. If you can draw a star, hopefully you can remember it. And what I didn't put, because I didn't want that screen up there too long for folks at home, is right in the middle of that star is you could write one word. It's a Hebrew word. So are you guys ready to learn a new language, kids? Well, you're going to anyway. That was my son, by the way. Uh, adults, kids, if you don't know this, this is, this is a Hebrew word, and you've got to get a little bit of, like, congestion in your chest when you say it, okay? A little bit of phlegm in the throat when you say the, the H sound. So it's chesed. Everyone say chesed. It's H-E-S-E-D in English alphabet. I don't know how to draw in the Hebrew alphabet for you, but chesed. 
That is the thing you've been repeating all morning 26 times. What does it mean? His love endures forever. It's deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. We didn't have words for it. Some of the original translations just tried to put two words together and make it one and go, loving kindness, all one word. But that is so weak. His hesed means a covenantal, sacrificial, relentless, pursuing love that never gives up. And even that in, in our English fails to really describe the way God was at work. This was a deep devotional love. It's not the kind of love where God goes, oh, I'm just so enamored by you, people. Like, I, I, I can't help but love you no matter what you do, right? No matter what my dog does, which drives me nuts, Liam still loves her. Liam still loves Millie when she's chewing his stuff up. I don't get it. Because he's enamored with her, he thinks she's cute. This is not the kind of love. Because I look at that, I'm like, that's not cute. Get that thing out of here. But this hesed love from God is a deep devotion commitment saying, I will choose to continue to love you and be with you. There's a writer by the name of Walter Brueggemann who says of that word hesed, he calls it a tenacious solidarity. Does anyone know what those words mean? Tenacious means like it doesn't quit. It is just super persistent, almost aggressively persistent. Like you want it to stop, but it won't stop. And solidarity just means you're with someone. Like why do I wear my mask with other people? Because we're in solidarity. I'm saying I love you. I want to protect you. I'm in this with you together, right? God, even at the, at, like even if you don't want to because it's not something you desire or you think is right, it's like I'm with you though. And this is the way that God shows his character, his nature toward his people. Like when Israel continues to fail him time and time again, and he goes, I'm with you. Tenacious solidarity, relentlessly with you. Think about the arc that that story takes through Psalm 136. When creation goes wrong, when there's sickness in the world, when there's brokenness in the world, God is saying, I am still relentlessly with my people. When others come and oppress, and you can look out and you can see like people aren't being treated the way they're supposed to be all over the world, all over the place, right? And in this case, it was the slavery in Egypt. And God going, even in the midst of oppression, I am relentlessly with my people. And then you look at the story of numbers, the story of the wilderness. And yes, they're out there being attacked by other kingdoms, but why were they in the wilderness again for that long? Because they failed to trust God. This was their own doing. It's no longer because, man, just the whole world itself is messed up. It's no longer because other people are messed up. It's now I'm messed up. And God is saying, I am relentlessly with you. Even in your wander. Even when you wander away from me, I am relentlessly pursuing and following after you. Has said his faithful love endures. It endures your walking away. It endures what others do to you. It endures the brokenness of this world. 
it endures, it lasts forever. How do we know this? We look to verse 23. Israel says, he remembered us in our humiliation. Their humiliation was they were beaten up. The world wasn't kind to them. They were slaves. And then they, they failed to trust in God themselves. And they were wandering without a home and without a kingdom. And God remembered them in their humiliation. Part of the original writing in the Hebrew of this actually suggests the translation should be that you came to us and lowered yourself in our humiliation. You came to us in our low estate. And so that's what Israel had to look to. And we see that fully in God's love as we continue through that story, right? Because their story stops, like, at the third symbol. Creation, God has come down and made all things. Rebellion, humanity turns their backs on God. Promise, God continues to relentlessly be with his people. But we know the story continues, that God remembered us in our humiliation, that God came to us in our low estate, that God himself lowered himself down to be with us in our humiliation. That Jesus was born to the poorest of poor families in the poorest of poor towns, that he was born as a helpless baby, couldn't take care of his own self, had to rely on fallen, broken humans to care for him, to feed him, to clothe him, to change him, to clean him. That he lived as a homeless man. Jesus said that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I have no place to lay my head. Wandering around like the Israelites. And yet, as he wandered amongst them, he was bringing good news. God has remembered you in your humiliation. God has remembered you in your oppression. God has remembered you in the brokenness of creation. God has come down and lowered himself to be in your humble estate so that he could be relentlessly And then thank God the story doesn't end there, right? Because Jesus not only humbles himself by coming into earth, but humbling himself by taking on the death we deserve, by dying because of sin and rebellion. The thing that God said at the very beginning of the story, if you turn your backs on me, if you rebel against the one who gave you life, you will die. And Jesus lowers himself even to that point into the grave. And the story doesn't stop there. He rises again. By the Spirit of God, the power of God within him, he overcomes death, he overcomes rebellion, he overcomes sin, he overcomes Satan, the enemy of this world, and he rises. And this God who says, I have come down to you to relentlessly be with you, is saying, I am now drawing you back to be with me. Let's go to Romans 8. I have it on the screen. We'll read verses 31, I think, oh, 35 through 37. Paul wrote this in the book of Romans. It was a letter to the church in Rome. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I want to pause right there. And I want you to 
use your creativity. Okay, let's do a little bit of poetic licensing here and use your imagination and just reflect on your own life and what you're experiencing in the world today. And I want you to ask that question, who or what can separate me from the love of Christ? Can being forced to wear a mask? Can being furloughed from my job? Can getting a virus? Can seeing oppression happen around me? Can seeing the world fight and go crazy? Can Satan? Can political divisiveness? Can all these things? Or maybe you're going, man, I'm so tired of hearing about those things right now. Do you even know what I've had to put up with in my life this week? Like, I lost a friend. I can't pay my bills. Whatever it is in your life right now, enter that in there and go, can that separate me from the love of Christ? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, no matter what you're facing, in all these things, through all these things, in your humiliation, in your wandering, and in the things people do against you, and in the brokenness of this world, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, whose faithful love endured forever. And it continues, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because his faithful love endures forever. It endured the cross and endured the grave, and it is enduring what you and I are facing today. And here's where the real call and response comes from, okay? We'll end it with this. Because it's a call and response song that the psalmist wrote saying, I'll recite something God has done, and you respond with how he has loved us. But the psalm is trying to get you to a point at the end there where it wraps it up in verse 26 with something way deeper than that. That you, the call is God's love. You have a response to that love. Verse 26, he says, give thanks to the God of heaven. This is our response. What do we do? when God has loved us even through the brokenness of this world, when he has loved us even when others have not, when he has loved us even when we haven't loved him, when we see and we remember and we remind one another through psalms like this of God's work in this world and his relentless love and being with you, hopefully what that stirs is a response of thankfulness. Because listen, you guys, if you're in Christ, that's your one job. Jesus has done all the other work for you. Jesus is the one who's relentlessly pursued after you. Jesus is the one who overcame death and rebellion of sin. Jesus is the one who has filled us with the power of his spirit. Your job, we talked about this when we preached through 1 Thessalonians, remember? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Always pray constantly, be in communion constantly with the God who is relentlessly with you. Give thanks in everything. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for you in Christ.
Christ Jesus. Your response is to be thankful that he has loved you and relentlessly pursued you. How do you do that? Well, when you enter in, when you enter into the loving arms, the faithful, enduring love of Christ, it will become easier and easier and easier as you focus and fix your eyes on that. My sons like to dress up costumes and, and play games. And like when my, when my son puts on, stop. When my son puts on a ninja costume, what does he look like? A ninja, right? He's in the ninja costume and he has now taken on the persona of a ninja and he starts acting like a ninja. When you are in Christ, and that's the way that Paul talks about it all throughout his letters in the New Testament, that we are in Christ. It's like being clothed in him, wrapped in him. When you are in Christ, you begin to take on the power and the, the response and the look and the feel of Christ. You become more and more like him. And what I'm convinced of more and more is that the number one thing that does for us is it allows us to reflect and be thankful for the fact that he has loved us and relentlessly pursued us. So please don't ever grow tired of reminding yourselves that his faithful love endures forever. Amen?